Pastor John MacArthur said that in his prayer life, he mostly prays for others rather than for himself. He said as far as his own needs go, he just reads the Scripture and he trusts the promises of Scripture for his own needs to be met. And so most of the time when he is praying, he spends time praying for the needs of others. Now, did you know that this is also the pattern of the Lord Jesus? In his greatest prayer in John 17, which is often called the Lord's high priestly prayer, it is uh, the most wonderful prayer ever recorded, we see this pattern. There are 26 verses in this prayer. It is only the first five, one-fifth of the prayer, that Jesus prays for himself. The rest of the verses, verses that are 21 verses, four-fifths of the prayer, he prays for his present and his future disciples. Isn't this a good model for us? What a good model this is for our prayers. Jesus has a single petition for himself, but he has several petitions for his disciples. Uh, one Bible teacher has said the length of this prayer shows Jesus had greater concern for his disciples' welfare than he had for his own. And today we begin to look at Jesus' great concern for the welfare of his own disciples. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John 17. And I want you to notice with me verse 6. Let me begin by looking for just a moment at verse 6 of John 17. And notice that Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I'm very grateful that the English Standard Version that I'm using this morning translates the word people generically to include all Christians. Because what Jesus prays in verses 6 to 19, uh, obviously very immediately, was for his 11 disciples. Judas is now gone. But clearly what he prays here applies to all believers at all times. Now what Jesus does is he answers for us two questions as he prays for his immediate disciples. Why does Jesus pray for his disciples? And then what Jesus prays. On a subsequent Sunday after Easter, we will pick up with the second one. But let's continue on, shall we, down through verse 10 and the first part of verse 11. Notice verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I'm glorifying them, 
and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Let's bow together for just a moment, shall we? Lord Jesus, we are in awe this morning of your prayer for us. We are so blessed that we can call ourselves disciples, Christ followers. And Lord, if there's any place in Scripture where we see how dear we are to your heart, it is when we listen to you as you pray for us. Lord, if we belong to you today, you have prayed for us, and you are praying for us. If we do not belong to you, you are not praying for us. It is just that simple. And we pray today that you will bring us into the wonder of what this really means. That in spite of the trials and the hardships and the pain, the difficulties of the circumstances and the heartache, that you would help us to see that we indeed have been given the most wonderful life that anyone could ever enjoy. We pray today there will be a new appreciation of what it means to be a follower of the Lord. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now in this first part of this section, we are learning together why Jesus prays for us. And notice the answers that Jesus gives to this question. The first one is that disciples belong to both the Father and to the Son. Now, Jesus makes this very clear in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, we all know that we have a special concern for that which belongs to us, don't we? If I were at a grocery store and I went outdoors into the parking lot and I saw someone's car badly dented, I would feel bad about that. But if I went out into the same parking lot in the same grocery store and I saw that my car was badly dented, I would feel really bad about that. You see, it's just normal, it's just natural that we have a special concern for that which belongs to us. Now what this prayer does is it reveals Jesus' inmost thoughts about his disciples. It shows to us the heart that our Savior has for us. And I want you to notice that the key is found in verse 10. Look at what he says in verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. Notice that statement. We are special because we belong to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, we belong to God the Father. Whoever Jesus possesses, the Father possesses. And whoever the Father possesses, Jesus possesses. And because of that, 
Jesus' heart goes out to us in wonderful love and wonderful concern. Now, I want you to see how Jesus develops this sense that we belong to him. Uh, did you notice in verse 6, he says about the disciples, and this is true of us as well, yours they were. That is an amazing statement. What this means is that we belong to God in eternity past when He chose us for Himself. We have seen how Jesus has talked about that many times. Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you out of the world, He said back in chapter 15. And this is an amazing statement because before the eleven ever met the Lord Jesus Christ, they belonged to the Father as a part of His eternal plan. The Father had already, in eternity past, set His love on every single believer. Then notice Jesus says in verse 6, You gave them to me. And so we belong to Jesus now. When God gives us to Him at our salvation and we come to know Him in a personal way. And then if you drop down to verse 12, you will notice that He says about them and He says about us, not one of them is lost. And so we will belong to Jesus in eternity future. Now, look again and see how special then are the people of God to the Savior. Yours they were in eternity past. You gave them to me now in salvation when they come to Christ. And in eternity future, not one of them will be lost, says the Lord Jesus. Now, you put all of that together, and because of this, we have a very, very special relationship with God that only believers have. When Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people, that is a very, very special statement. Uh, to manifest your name has the idea of we get to know God as he really is through Jesus' word and works. What the Savior is saying is, you have the opportunity now to get to know God the Father as He really is because of what I have taught you and what I have done for you in my works for you. What is interesting is that this word manifest means to show something forth. And the name of God is a reference to God's nature as showing who He really is. And so what the Lord is saying is in this relationship, He leads us forth as it were. He shows forth God's nature as He really is so that we know Him in a way that nobody else does. Do you know in the Gospel of John, the way that Jesus reveals the Father to us uniquely is as the Father. I want you to drop back for just a moment to the opening chapter, chapter 1. And I want you to notice one of the most significant verses for the entire Gospel of John is verse 18, which is the last verse 
in the prologue. Notice what it says Jesus does for us. Look at how he uniquely reveals God as Father. This is what the Bible says. No one has ever seen God. The only God, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now this is what Jesus is referring to when He says, I have manifested the Father's name. Do you know in the Gospel of John, the word Father occurs 122 times? In the Upper Room Discourse, uh, the Last Supper series that we are uh, preaching from, chapters 13 to 17, the word Father occurs 53 times. That is, nearly half of the uses in the whole Gospel of John occur in these chapters before the Lord goes to the cross. And in chapters 16 and 17, which are the final bookend of the Upper Room Discourse, the word Father occurs 19 times, almost a third, a little more than a third of the 53 occurrences in chapters 13 to 17. So in a very unique way, the ministry and work of Jesus is to reveal God as our Father. Do you know no place in all of history up until Jesus came did any Israelite ever refer to God as my Father? Isn't that interesting? You can go through the whole Old Testament. A few times you will see the expression, our Father, But you will never see an Israelite call God my father. And then in all rabbinic literature outside of the Old Testament, you never hear a rabbi refer to God in prayer as my father. It was considered improper. In fact, it was considered beneath God's dignity. And so what happened was the Jews developed a very remote view of God. Their emphasis was on the transcendence of God, not on the imminence of God. In fact, they would not even use God's personal name to refer to him. But then came Jesus. And when Jesus came, there were three things that were completely different. Number one, Jesus always addressed God as Father when he prayed. Number two, this was totally unique to Jesus. No one had ever done that until he came. And then number three, the very word that he used to talk to God is the word that he gave to us as his disciples to talk to God as well. If you want to know The specialness that we as a believer have to the Father and to Jesus, read this prayer. Read this prayer. Six times in this prayer, Jesus calls God his Father. Let's look at them for just a moment. Look at verse 1. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father. Drop down to verse 5. Jesus continues, and now, Father. Drop down to verse 11 and notice what he says. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Drop down to verse 21 and notice what he says. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. Drop down to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. And then drop down to verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that we, that you have given to me, that you have sent me. Six times in this wonderful prayer, Jesus calls God Father, and now we have the same privilege. We know God as Father. Second, the second reason that Jesus prays for us is disciples believe in the Father through the Son. We believe in the Father through the Son. Notice how Jesus makes this so very clear in verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And now notice this statement. And they have believed that you have sent me. Do you see here the second reason why Jesus prays for his disciples? is because they were believers. The most important thing we can do in responding to God is to be a believer, is to believe. I want you to turn back for just a moment to John 6, and, and I want you to notice how Jesus emphasized this. When I was a young believer, this would often puzzle me how Jesus responded. But I want you to notice what the Jews said to Jesus in verse 28 of John 6. Look what they said. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So, Jesus, what must we do to please God by doing his works? And Jesus answered them in verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And Jesus' answer there has always puzzled me. Because as I've looked at that, I say, why answer a question about doing by saying the answer is believing. That has always puzzled me, but the answer to why Jesus does that and the answer to that puzzle is solved here in Jesus' high priestly prayer in verses 7 and 8. Look at it again and notice here that this is the answer to why Jesus asks, answers a question about doing with the answer of believing. Notice it again in verses 7 and 8. Now that they know that everything you have given me is from you, 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You see what Jesus is emphasizing? Salvation is not what we do for God. Rather, salvation is what he does for us in the person of his Son whom he has sent. Jesus makes it clear here that faith accepts God's plan by believing his word is true about his Son. You see, doing a work depends upon God. But believing God's word about his son depends upon him. One day, the famous pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, was talking to a man about the gospel. And as he was sharing the gospel with him, this man said to him, but what does God want? He said, tell me, what is it that God wants? And Pastor Barnhouse said the answer came to him in a flash, and he said to the man, what God wants most of all in the world is to be believed. He wants to be trusted. That's the number one thing that God is looking for of all things because he knows that when we believe him, trust his word, the truth about what he has said about his son, then everything that he has planned for us can begin to take operation in our lives. As you know, through this study, we have seen that John many times comments on what Jesus says in his first epistle. Turn back with me to 1 John 5 for just a moment. And notice the commentary that John makes on what Jesus says here in verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 5, and I want you to notice John's commentary in verses 10 through 12. And notice how John brings this out for us. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, do you see what John is saying as he expands on what Jesus said? Faith honors God's Word. And because it honors God's Word, it brings us into a relationship with His Son. It is only after we have a relationship with His Son that we can do anything that is acceptable to God. But to be able to do something physically, you've got to have physical life. To be able to do anything spiritually, you've got to have spiritual life. And so when we have the Son, 
He says we have the life. And after we have the life, then we can begin to please God. And so the number one thing that God is always looking for is that we will believe Him, that we will trust Him. Look back at verse 6 and and notice how you see this pattern in chapter 17. Notice how this pattern leads to a a conclusion that's very similar to what John says in 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 6 again. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me when they believed. And now notice the last statement, and they have kept your word. Do you see that? Do you see doing always has to come after believing? The Jews come to Jesus and they say to him, what must we do to to do the works of God? For them it was all about doing. Jesus says, here's the work of God, that you believe in the name of the one that he has sent. Why does Jesus put it that way? Because when we believe, then we belong. When we belong, we have the life. When we have the life, then we can do what pleases the Father. And then and only then can we keep his word. And so here is why Jesus is praying for every disciple. We belong to the Father and the Son, and we believe in the Father through the Son. Now notice the third reason. Reason number three. Three reasons why Jesus is praying is Disciples bring glory to the Son. Look at verse 9 and 10. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And now notice the statement. I'm glorified in them. Jesus was getting ready to leave. In fact, notice he says that in verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, and they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Jesus was getting ready to leave. Now, when he began this prayer, he said, Lord, I've glorified you. In just a a, a few hours, I'm going to glorify you in the cross, in the resurrection, in the ascension, in the sending of the Holy Spirit, in my being enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on high. But now as Jesus gets ready to leave, he says that it is through us that his glory is seen. By the way, you can see why Jesus prays for us, right? You can see why he prays for us. If Jesus is going to receive glory after he has left, that glory is going to come through us. 
The Old Testament will tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. But the Bible says to us that the only thing that people can see in creation is the power and deity of God. While the revelation of God in creation, that wonderful sunrise that we saw this morning, those beams of, of light uh, uh, shining down on the sun that was coming up, that reveals the, the Godhead of God and it reveals His power. It reveals His glory in a limited sense. But the glory of God in salvation, the glory of what Christ has come to accomplish is revealed through us. And so Jesus prays for us. Many years ago in Detroit, there was a, a very famous pastor, a well-known pastor in Hazel Park by the name of Pastor David Allen. He used to say that in eternity, Christians are going to be exhibit A of what God's saving power can do. My mother heard him say that, and she would often remind us that Pastor Allen said that Christians in eternity are going to be exhibit A of what God can do. It is disciples that bring glory to Jesus regarding his saving power. You know, we've been here 12 years in the UP now. And there's a man that I've known for 12 years. I've seen him in a number of different contexts who comes from a foreign country. He uh, has a very, very thick accent. In fact, it's fun to talk to him and, and listen to his accent. It's a very distinct accent. Do you know, he's one of the most gracious men that I've ever met. Whenever I see him, he's always smiling. He's kind. He's courteous. He became a substitute teacher in the local public school system. He's had both of my kids as a substitute teacher, and whenever I see him, he tells me to say hello to my kids, and he has wonderful words for them. Friday, I was at the university library, and as I was leaving the library, I came across him again. He said to me, uh, what, what, what are you doing here at the library? And I said, well, I'm preparing my Sunday sermon. He said, oh, digging into God's word. Can you tell me who talks like that? Christians do, right? I discovered after 12 years, this guy's a believer. I went home and I said to my son, do you know so-and-so is a Christian? He said, Dad, didn't you know that? <laughs> I didn't know it. But for 12 years, I could surely see it, couldn't I? For 12 years, I could surely see it. 
Jesus has been glorified in him. Do you know what he asked me when he discovered that I was a Christian? He said, would you pray for my brother in Liberia, Africa? He said he has cancer. And now this man that I have known for 12 years, who I have seen the glory of Christ in his life, I am now praying for his family. You see what a wonderful thing it is to belong to this, this fellowship of those whom Jesus is praying for. Do you know what we're seeing here today, brothers and sisters? We are seeing what a disciple is. As the Savior prays for us, He is showing us what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who belongs to both father and son. A disciple believes in the father through the son. And a disciple brings glory to the son. Let me ask all of us this morning, do you have this life? If you do, Jesus is praying for you. If you do not, He is not praying for you. You see, this is the most wonderful life that anyone could ever have. Nothing comes close to this life. It was interesting as we began our service our elder Lynn pointed us to our mission statement that says, becoming Christ followers. Becoming does not mean that no one can ever know for sure that they are a disciple, which is what a Christ follower is. But becoming tells us that glorifying Jesus is a lifelong process. And therefore, it takes lifelong spiritual growth. And so on the one hand, we can say, I am a disciple. This is true of me. But on the other hand, we can say, I am becoming a disciple because glorifying Jesus is a lifelong process. One of the most interesting preachers that that I've ever heard preach was a man by the name of Dr. Ralph Kuyper. He taught at Denver Theological Seminary, and he traveled as a traveling speaker for that particular seminary. He was almost completely blind. In fact, as you look at this picture of him, you can tell just by looking at this picture that he had problems with his eyesight. Very interesting to hear this man preach, the thickest glasses that I've ever seen, holding his Bible about like this, as he would read the Word of God and then preach. I never, ever forgot Dr. Kuyper. Early in his ministry, he said one day a little eight-year-old girl by the name of Mary 
came to meet him in his office. She had been to daily vacation Bible school in their church. And one morning after Bible school was over, she came to Dr. Kuyper's office quite unexpectedly, and she said to him, Mr. Kuyper, is it all right if I commit suicide? He was very, very startled. But he said he had learned never to give a quick answer to a question before finding out the reason for the question. So he said to the little girl, Mary, why would you ever want to commit suicide? Mary said to him, well, it's because of what I learned in Bible school this morning. Dr. Kuyper said, what are they teaching in VBS? <laughs> she continued, we were taught that heaven is a wonderful place. There's no fear, no crying, no fighting. And we will just be with the Lord. She said, won't that be wonderful? She said, we will be taught, we're taught that, that when we're in heaven, we will just be with Jesus. And, and she, said, uh, she said, Mr. Kuyper, did I, did I hear that right? Is, is that true? That when we die, we will be just in heaven with Jesus. And, and he said to her, yes, Mary, that's true. You heard that right. But she said, why then would you want to commit suicide? This little eight-year-old said, Mr. Kuyper, you've been in my home. You know my mother and daddy. They don't know Jesus. Many times they're drunk. She said, we, we have to get ourselves up in the morning we have to make our own breakfast. We go to school in dirty clothes. And the other kids, they laugh and they make fun of us. Then when we come home after school, we hear, then when we come home after school, we hear terrible fighting and things that make us Afraid. Mr. Kuyper, she said, why shouldn't I commit suicide? Isn't heaven a better place? By the way, that little girl was interested in practical theology, wasn't she? She was not just interested in theoretical theology. She had a practical concern. What she was really asking at eight years of age was, why are we in this world anyway? Why are we left in this sin-cursed place when heaven is such a blessed place? 
Why do we have to stay here? And why does God not take us immediately to heaven where we can experience that blessedness? And if God, after our conversion, doesn't immediately take us to heaven, wouldn't it be better to just end it all now so that we could go to that place? By the way, have you ever been there? I find the older I get, the more I want to be in heaven rather than here. And here's what Mr. Kuiper said to that little eight-year-old. Listen to his words. Mary, there is only one reason in God's world why we are here. It is that through our testimony, by life and word, we might have the privilege of bringing people to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He said to Mary, if you will do that, in the providence of God, He may use your testimony to bring your parents to the saving knowledge of the Lord. Do you know That is exactly what happened. Mary's drunken, fighting, neglectful mother became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because of Mary. Brothers and sisters, This is what a disciple is. Don't ever forget what our Lord is teaching us. A disciple belongs to both father and son because they believe in the father through the son and now have the opportunity to bring glory to the son. This is the only reason why we are here. It is why Jesus prays for us. Let's bow our hearts together. In just a moment... We will sing. The service will be closed. And the events of the day will crowd our minds. We are no more on sacred and holy ground than when we are listening to Jesus pray. And today he has revealed his heart for those who belong to him. His heart for you and me. And as I said, if you have this life, Jesus is praying for you.
If you do not, He is not praying for you. But that does not mean He does not love you. For He has left all the people around you today whose one goal and desire in life is to bring glory to the Son so that you could come to know Him. He brought you today by His providential working into this service that you might hear the great truths about what He has done for you. He does not want you to continue to be lost. He wants you to be found. He wants you to be found. And today, if you are unsure about that, you can come to Him. You can say something like this from your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm turning to you. I'm repenting of my own way. I recognize I have nothing of value to give to you. The truth of the matter is I have a broken and a worthless life. But I believe who you are. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me. That's what gives me value. And I turn now to you. I do the one thing that, that you long for me to do. I believe. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of all my many sins. Give me the life that is in you and you alone. Make me this day a child of God. And now, Lord Jesus, believing that you have come into my heart, I will now follow you with all of my life. I know I will fail. I know that I have much to learn. I know the road will be bumpy and rocky. But believing that you have saved me, and that you will keep me. I now will follow you. And seek to glorify you. As your Christ follower. Thank you Lord Jesus. For saving me. And brothers and sisters. For the rest of us today, how this brings a touch of glory to our lives. In spite of how we have hurt, in spite of the heartaches that we experience, the questions that may never be answered until we arrive in heaven,
how this brings a touch of glory to our lives. It makes everything worthwhile. It brings a new outlook, a new purpose, and a new meaning. And what a wonder for us to know that our Savior continues this very day praying for us. We love you, Lord, today. We are so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.